0: Hello! Welcome to our new Peer Solutions series, 10 for 10, Rape Culture Roots and Solutions. My name is Jordan Darby. I joined Peer Solutions when I was in the 8th grade. Fast forward 7 years, and I'm now an official program coordinator. Our mission at Peer Solutions is peers working with peers to make the world a better place. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. We'll be asking 10 community members and experts the same 10 questions regarding a multitude of topics. In this series, we'll be discussing rape culture, roots, and solutions. Sadly, it's very likely you or someone you know have experienced some type of sexual violence. We hope this series will give you strength to carry on and perhaps share any prevention advice you might have. We will also provide resources at the end of each series. Together, we can prevent sexual violence. Rape culture is a term originally coined in the 70s by feminists in the United States. This term is used to dub a society or environment whose prevailing social attitudes have the effect of normalizing or trivializing sexual assault and abuse. A norm is simply a pattern of behavior considered acceptable or proper by a social group. And though this term was recently coined, rape culture began centuries prior, rooted in our prevailing, normative, and continued past social attitudes. Attitudes and practices like racism and sexism that trivialize the well-being, agency, and experience of the people affected by them. These roots have taken hold, and we really are waking up to a world where sexual violence is often perceived as the norm. How normal? Well, according to data from the Department of Justice, the Office of Justice Programs, and the Bureau of Justice Statistics, and gathered by RAINN Statistics, every 68 seconds an American is sexually assaulted, and every 9 minutes that person is a child. According to the CDC... One in three women and one in four men will experience sexual violence in their lifetime. The estimated cost of just child sexual abuse in the United States is $9.3 billion annually, not to mention the lifelong lasting effects it has on those who have experienced it. A study on criminal victimization by the Department of Justice revealed that only 40% of rape and sexual assaults were reported to police in 2017, and only about 25% were reported to police the following year. Of sexual abuse cases reported to law enforcement, 93% of juveniles sexually assaulted knew the person that harmed them, and only 25 out of every 1,000 people that rape others will end up in prison, according to RAIN statistics. The effects of sexual violence go beyond the immediate physical trauma. The effects of child sexual abuse can be long-lasting and affect the victim's mental health. Victims are more likely than non-victims to experience mental health changes. They can be about four times more likely to develop symptoms of drug abuse, four times more likely to experience PTSD as adults, and three times more likely to experience a major depressive episode as adults. Adverse mental health symptoms, including post-traumatic stress disorder and substance use, contribute to suicidality among adults with sexual assault histories. According to a 2018 study, Sexual assault in either childhood or adulthood nearly doubles the odds of suicidal thoughts and attempts, and revictimization increased the odds of suicidal thoughts and attempts nearly fivefold. Sexual violence can also lead to developing symptoms of drug abuse, and although those seeking opioid maintenance treatment report exposure to multiple traumas over their life, sexual assault is the most commonly reported worst trauma according to a study published by HHS. Though sexual violence may be considered the norm or simply ignored or enabled by omission, we believe safety, equity, and respect, not rape culture, are the true norms and also the solution. In our Rape Culture Roots and Solutions series, we are asking 10 people, 10 questions. We will dive into the roots,
1: current impact, and solutions. My name is Genesis Maldonado and I am the Program Director for Peer Solutions and I've been with Peer Solutions for three years.
2: My name is Toby. I'm 14, my pronouns are she, they, and I'm currently in my freshman year of high school.
3: Hello, my name is Ligaya Manolestas, I'm 16 years old, I'm a senior now at ASU Prep, and I've been with Peer Solutions for about a year and a half. I started in, I think, March of 2020. I'm a peer educator.
4: Alright, my name is Kiara, I'm 18, I use any pronouns, and I'm a student currently.
5: My name is John and um, I am 47 years old. Uh, My pronouns are he, him, and his. And I am a nurse and uh, been a nurse for 23 years and uh, my background has been emergency nursing and I also teach for a local university in the College of Nursing.
6: My name is Jotiam Chase. My age is 17. Pronouns is he, him, I am in school.
7: My name is Anna Lane. my age is 20 and my pronouns are she, they, and what am I doing right now? I am currently working um, 30 hours a week. Um, so yeah.
8: Okay, my name is Elijah Costal-Chevalier. i um, 24 years old, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm right now middle school science educator, and I'm also doing a chapter of peer solutions at my school in Maryville Western School of Science and Technology
9: all right my name is Rio I am 21 years old my pronouns are he him and at the moment I am a full-time college student
10: hi my name is Angeline I am 22 years old my pronouns are she her and I am attending a
0: school at ASU our lovely community members have taken the time to answer our questions so thank you to them And speaking of questions, there is no definite answer to these. Everyone has their own experiences, and we can't say if an experience is right or wrong. With that being said, let's get into the questions.
1: What is rape culture? Rape culture is an environment where sexual violence and harm is normalized. Rape culture can also be seen in institutions that protect rapists and silencing individuals that are harmed.
2: I'm not the best at explaining it, but um like normalization of harassment and that type of thing in uh you know modern day society and how the um, that kind of stuff is treated
3: so rape culture and my understanding of it is just like these like rooted beliefs in society and like practices we do that sort of enforce the idea that other people have access and control of other people's bodies and they sort of uh, have a say in, um, it's mostly patriarchal, Uh, I know rape is not only a man oppressing woman, but it is sort of deeply rooted in that society where um, people are objectified and sexualized for things that should not be the case.
4: Um, I'm not really sure, but I would assume it's like something like people raping other people. I'm not entirely sure how to answer.
5: So rape culture is, uh, it's an interesting, it's more of a a phenomenon or a concept. Unfortunately, it's not a real, it's not a real term. It is amongst us that, um, deal in this type of uh, business or this, uh, this line of work, but it's, it's a phrase that kind of refers to the normalizing of uh, aggressive sexual behavior, um, so much that we shift the blame from the suspect to the victim. So instead of asking uh, why do people um, rape others, we wind up asking what did you do to get raped? And so we've actually flipped our, our view of the situation and in doing so, we really wind up harming the, the victim themselves. We take something like uh, innocent until proven guilty and we flip it around and somehow we wind up applying that to the perpetrator. And we ask, um, we start to ask questions, you know, should the police be called? We wind up interrogating the victim to find out if we think it's a crime or in our own mind before we decide to act on it. And then when we do act, maybe we don't um, we don't believe certain things because it hasn't been proven to us.
6: Uh, rape culture, what I would believe what that is, is that it is people's past experience between and their scarring or their troubles of what has happened to them when they were raped the before and after how they how they were affected and what are they doing to cope with it
7: to me it's the stigma around rape it's how um, victims of sexual assault and rape are treated and it's how um the culture treats rapists as well um i feel like the culture is very hostile towards um victims and survivors of sexual assault whereas they're not as harsh on the rapist occasionally depending on who it is
8: so essentially i define rape culture as a culture in which sexual violence is something that's normalized um it's something that's pervasive it kind of like permeates through all things whether that's like macro systems of power and social attitudes or just like micro, you know, small lived experiences um that we just have in the everyday.
9: It's a really broad term. I feel like it's hard to encompass all of it, so I'll do my best to. But I feel like rape culture, simply put, is the culture around rape. Um, the attitudes and feelings we have towards rape and how rape affects us as a whole. Rape culture also as a whole is what I feel also psychologically affects you as a person who's been raped you know like just all of it
10: rape culture is um i think best way to describe it is the normalization of like rape and assault within our within society and within um western culture um like oh, I say, Westernized culture, just because that's what I'm most familiar with. Though um, I can't, uh, I so because I can't say um, anything outside of the
1: U.S. What
0: their versions of rape culture is. What are the root causes of rape culture?
1: I believe that the root cause of rape culture is oppression, silence, and normalized violence and harm. So this can be seen as. People that are getting blamed for being harmed and seeing how normalized this behavior is in families or just throughout generations and how hard it can be to come forward without being blamed or silenced or told that they need to deny what happened to them.
2: Uh, I definitely think the uh, root causes would be something like, you know, stuff like toxic masculinity and just not raising... Boys and men to be more respectful of other people and of women, especially.
3: I think it's just like old flawed narratives um, from the patriarchy. I'm so like we live in a society, but just like old perspectives um, where there's in, in an imbalance of power between genders and um that sort of allowed this like uh stereotype and sort of norms where um women's women were only used for their bodies and uh men had all the power in that situation i think those those things could have been rooted in a lot of um religions actually where you know uh women have to cover up because their bodies are distracting to the male who is like more important you know and male are males are very like um com- oh, accomplished in that way and they have more of um uh their use for their brains and their talents where women's are women are just used for their ability to reproduce um i think misinformation is
4: definitely part of it like um people I guess who rape not being informed and people like not being not being aware of like signs, I guess, and like not entirely knowing what it is.
5: I, you know, the root causes I feel like go back, um, way, way, way back in the day. Um, it's kind of a you know, if it starts male female, um, we always have to remember that uh, men can be raped by men or women by women or men can be raped by women. But I've, I feel like it goes back to just way back in the day, um, being more of a male-female thing, um, masculine, the men work, the women stay home, women are be, to be seen, not heard. Um, you get into toxic masculinity um, and, you know, things where uh, domestic violence wasn't even um, it wasn't even a crime back in the day. You, you, had to, uh, you didn't talk about it, you know, it was kept quiet. And even then when you did talk about it or get divorced, you were looked at as a failure. Um, you're stigmatized that way. And then I think we've progressed into this, this culture where um, just the, the macho man is correct in everything they're saying. Um, you know, even when uh, a heterosexual male does um, uh, get assaulted by um, another male, they're less likely to, to say anything about it. Um, they feel um, ashamed. And then we have this this uh, culture on the other side of those of us um, that are supposed to be helping maybe we uh, we aren't as helpful because it's such an uncomfortable situation that um we we want to believe something else happened too. so the second we get we're given that out to believe that there was a different possibility, I think we tend to take that um, because it's more comfortable for us to swallow
6: Well, I think it's due to like a deep of female and male there's they're both different they they have to be treated differently um the inequality of both male and female uh what else there is a yeah yeah splitting up between what one side can do and what the other side can't do like their own differences like how men can be more more manly or female or meant to be more feminine
7: the root causes definitely is, I want to personally say it is the astigmatism that there is a patriarchy and that they're, you know, m- for the most part, a lot of rapists are men and they, they have, some of them have like a little bit of a superiority complex and, you know, they kind of think that they can take what they want when they want. A lot of the times, however, it is a woman who is the perpetuator and the rapist, um... Personally, if I'm going at the root causes, I would want to say it's more than likely, you know, something that this person doesn't... I want to say it does something that they don't understand. Um, If you look at a lot of true crime, um, a lot of, like, the rapists come from backgrounds that range in diversity. Some of them are really wealthy and some of them aren't as well off, but the root causes... I would want to say is probably examples being led in their families
8: the root causes of rape culture um, have been identified as oppression normalized violence and silence so oppression being like you know sexism his sexism all the different racism like systems of power that like contribute um, to our, our social attitudes normalized violence meaning that like because it's so pervasive, we don't really know how to identify what's healthy or unhealthy sexuality because the culture that we live in, it's just so kind of like, rampant, I guess. Um, and silence meaning that like when rape happens or sexual violence occurs, like, we don't necessarily, victims don't have the tools to like, uh, those who have been victimized, excuse me, don't have the tools to like, speak up about it and just as a community we don't might not have the language or the practice of speaking up about it so that we can you know go and uh, do something like take action
9: the root causes of rape culture i think is the failure to educate educate other people on what it is when it comes to raping or assaulting someone and i also feel like the normalization of um primarily men being allowed to be pushy i feel like that and i feel like rape rape culture is also a lot of victim blaming and things of that nature that are tied into one kind of nasty ball of things of that nature um rape culture uh, you know yeah it's just a lot of like misinformation miseducation things of that nature that make it really difficult for you to um just a lack of education i'm gonna leave it at that a lack of education
10: I think it definitely has to do, um, historically speaking, um, it has to, has to do with um, power dynamics um, for most of history, if not all of history. Um, in Westernized culture, men have always been the dominant figure within society. And because they have been the dominant feature of society, their priorities, what they feel has always been forefront And unfortunately as a consequence of that um, one of the aspects is rape culture Um, in this a a more specific example would be men feeling entitled to um, a woman's body for example because men have always been in power and for them that is their right as a man as someone in power Um, that is um, of course that's with dominant speaking. Um, it's not that women can't be a uh, rapist or w- rape culture isn't around women either. It's just that predominantly the population in power has always been the one that influences culture. And in this case, um, a lot of the rape culture's roots come from male-dominant r- rhetoric, culture, and influence within society.
0: What does rape culture look like in families?
1: Family members who excuse and or participate in inappropriate sexual comments, behaviors and jokes with others in the family that make them feel uncomfortable is what rape culture looks like in families. And this also includes shaming family members, letting them know that what happened to them wasn't meant to happen to them, denying that anything happened, shaming them for speaking up it's really like a hush-hush norm in families sometimes where if you do hear something inappropriate that makes you uncomfortable, whether it's once or throughout your childhood, it's still rape culture, and it's normalized in families as well.
2: Definitely older, like, brothers and, like, fathers or father figures um, kind of projecting a uh, negative uh, thing onto their, their children, onto their, their sons, um, of, you know, how they treat their sisters and how they treat, like, for example, you know, if you have a, a toxic dad or, you know, who treats his wife poorly, that can kind of be projected onto their son, which can lead to that guy becoming, you know, toxic later in life.
3: Oh, um, when parents spread misinformation and miseducation about sex education and they treat their sons differently than da- their daughters when they're teaching them about puberty and um how to approach uh sexual activity you know like woman you're responsible take your birth control don't get pregnant before you're you know uh financially stable where um in a lot of co- families um most this most likely isn't the case anymore but um uh they would you know a son would come home they'd say they have a girlfriend they would say you know they lost their virginity and it would be a sort of celebration for like uh reaching their manhood or you know uh growing up or maturing whereas women it's very shameful in that sense I think in families it may not be as obvious
4: and it may just be like um like comments that people say or like smaller, I guess not smaller actions, but definitely like actions that other family members do?
5: In families, um, you know, it's similar. One of those things that kind of we don't talk about that, Um, you know, uh, maybe uh, there's that, um, quote, uh, creepy relative that uh, everyone just maybe stays away from or you would never uh, leave your kids uh, by that family member for them to babysit them. But no one ever did anything further to press the situation or possibly press charges or, or further investigate it or ask other family members. They just instead just stay away from it. Um, you know, families, as far as um, their kids going out um, into, into public, uh, maybe they, they tend to say things like, don't wear that outfit, as if the family member believes that if you, by wearing that, if something were to happen to you, uh, that's maybe you brought that on yourself by what you were wearing. So it, it already starts within the family and how you're treating your kids and other family members and and what they're wearing or how they're acting. Um, you told you, you can't dress like that around your grandma, and that's because your grandma is old school and the parent knows that your grandma going to think that you're dressed, you know, quote like a slut, whatever whatever that means to people, and and they don't approve of it. So instead, um, they tend to. Uh, skirt around those types of issues uh, with the kids and they ignore things when they are reported uh, if you come if the kid comes home and says something that kind of just gets buried um, within the family and doesn't get brought up ever again
6: maybe like in a more religious or a cultural household they would be like a where they have to have certain standards of what they must do because they are associated or they are a certain gender that they are born with. I say that how one would say how they judge or think about what they wear or what they listen to or how they walk in the manner of their speech, I think the way that they are and how they are judged would be a way of, say, would be a deep root cause for it.
7: The boys will be boys, a locker room talk, because there's a lot of families, especially where I'm from, where you see a lot of like families excuse, oh, if they have a son, oh, you know, my son will be my son. You know, boys will be boys. You can't change them. You can't do anything. And then there's an immense pressure for girls, especially to grow up and mature fast enough. And from a very young age, I believe rape culture starts in the family because a lot of parents put this immense pressure on their teenage or even younger daughters to cover up uncles coming over make sure you're wearing something more modest don't show your shoulders don't show your knees you know make sure you're not being provocative and and for them for the boys they're like eh, you know go out do what you want and they don't really hold them accountable whereas it's not a young woman's a young girl's fault to cover up if, you know, someone is coming over that, you know, you're worried that's gonna do something, don't have them over.
8: <laughs> so in families, I feel like in, as a person of color too, like I've found in many different cultures um, that like, it's really that silence piece, like that normalized harm or silence piece, um, because obviously, we're not talking about a big system of oppression, usually we're talking about just like the dynamic within the home, which surely it could be oppressive, you know what I'm saying, depending on like, patriarchy, matriarchy, like, how is the structure of the family, but really, I feel like it tends to be like, maybe gaslighting victims, so maybe, you know, especially a young person will come and say this person, you know, is a perpetrator of violence, or they are like, you know, contributing to harm, or they've committed an act of sexual violence, and like, they're sometimes met with like gaslighting so kind of the family wants to keep this false reality and narrative going that nothing's wrong that everything's okay that like somebody in the family couldn't do such a you know like harmful behavior and then I guess that flows into like the next point which is like that collective silence so Everybody wants to just like sweep things under the rug for the sake of like things being comfortable and things being nice when we have that like Family time, I guess um, so that's silence and denial They don't want to accept that it's actually going on So they'd rather deny it and tell that person not to speak up and think of it as an individual problem rather than like a Oh, like this entire family has an issue that we are not open communicators that we um, Can't address and accept the reality at hand and another piece is just like comes when it comes to parenting i guess so like maybe from a really young age like fostering sexual shame or hypersexualization. like either way at either end of the spectrum i guess like not having a healthy and balanced view of sexuality as a young person you know they'll take that outside of the family and the home and kind of continue having these unhealthy views and perceptions which becomes their reality
9: I feel like in families a lot of it has to do with victim blaming um especially in my experience um a lot of it's been victim blaming or fear of victim blaming or oh you're dressed too much like that you can't go out or else something will happen you know things like that i definitely have to say it's victim blaming and also just like misinformation and gender roles definitely gender roles like you know women are supposed to look like this men are supposed to be like this men are supposed to um Uh, you know, get the bread, do that, do this and that, and then women are supposed to be submissive. A lot of it's gender roles and uh, victim blaming.
10: Um, Growing up, the way I've always seen rape culture within families be normalized is um, growing up as a young girl, I would be told, um, oh, go put on pants or go put on a bra because um, your uncle's coming or "Your, um, your dad's friends are coming. Um, even at my own house when it's just me and my families, um, I'm always told by um, my mom and by my dad, um, put on um, bet more clothes or change your clothes. It's making him uncomfortable or it's making me uncomfortable, and that kind of normalizes the idea of rape cultures. Is what you're wearing is what makes you at fault, and rather than looking at why are you looking at this person, especially if in the child in families. Why are you looking
1: at them in this way?
0: What does rape culture look like in schools?
1: Rape culture in schools can look like sexual harassment on campus, not just with students, but between staff and students, staff and other staff members, principals, administration really, anybody can be a person who received unfair or inappropriate treatment on campus. And so this can be being blamed about sexual harassment, being told that the way that you dress is a reason that you got an inappropriate advance from someone. And so we can see rape culture in schools by inappropriate comments and just things like that.
2: Um, as you mentioned earlier, like locker rooms um, and uh, how you know guys in school interact with each other, normalizing the things other people say and do, like they'll they'll kind of downplay something bad. If someone like admits to doing something bad, a lot of the time, instead of trying to explain to someone why that's bad, they'll try and just uh, tell them, like, uh, you know, not really explain why it's bad, but normalize the thing they did or downplay what they did.
3: To me, it's it's always been about the dress code. It's always because like, for schools to um, shift their focus away from education, but give it the same excuse and like, control uh, what the students are wearing, like the dress code for me has always been a problem because I am very expressive with my fashion. I'm not I don't dress provocatively just to dress provocatively. And I dress what makes me, com- I dress in the clothes that make me comfortable. And um, a lot of times what makes me comfortable is what makes me productive. So when I get dress coded or when other females like me get dress coded, it's sort of like, why why is my body creating a problem for other people when really it's like my my body, I have control of it why can't they just stay focused on themselves and stay focused on their education in schools it's always like they're teaching they're teaching young women and other people to excuse inappropriate behavior and inappropriate attention from other people like they're blaming the victim is most entirely what rape culture is um i think in schools it's also
4: more on like the um, like, harassment side, but like I said, it can also be more, like, explicit, like, rape and stuff. Dress codes, for sure, like, my school didn't have- my high school didn't have a dress code or anything, but, um, I definitely understand, like, other schools having dress codes and then them being, like, kind of, like, double standards for, like, the different people. So, yeah, that's definitely a a part of it, and I also think, like, the way people are treated in, like, schools and stuff- it's sometimes you can tell that it's like different between like boys and girls or whatever.
5: When I when I think about it happening in schools, I um I would break it down into the different uh the different grade levels um kind of if you if you think of um you know grade school versus high school versus college um you know on a grade school level I think things um start off at a very early age of being um some pretty inappropriate actions um uh, touching um smacking someone on the butt. Um, aggressive behavior like snapping a bra, um, uh, shooting paper down a girl's uh, shirt as breasts start to develop, and and um, uh, the boys are, are shooting paper down the girl as if um, you know playing basketball like that's as if that's okay. And even if the, the, the person doesn't tell on you, um, it doesn't mean that the behavior is is any more um, appreciated, or it doesn't mean that it was okay to do. But it tends to be something that that you just do in school, and it's um, it's it's inappropriate. Um, and now we have, uh, you know, drugs are involved at a at a much earlier age. Um, I I told you I'm 47. Uh, when I was in school, we didn't have drugs. No, we had drugs, but um, it it's they're not they weren't as readily available as they are now, and they definitely weren't done at a younger age. I think, um, you know, when I was in, uh, by the time I graduated high school, um, nine year olds were maybe smoking cigarettes, and that's how you uh, enticed them or lured them to do things that were inappropriate. But now, um, there's a lot heavier drugs, um, and you have kids that are actually overdosing and, um, having, um, major problems from that alone. Um, on a high school level, you still have the drugs, um, but you have kind of a different set of problems. Um, you know, uh, as you get into sports and different events that you're allowed to do without your parents watching, um, I think, uh, you know, uh, Things happening underneath the bleachers a, a boy and a girl go down under the bleachers during a football game and what happened under there or two boys go down under there and one comes out yelling or one doesn't yell at all and uh, just maybe uh, says something happened to them later and then maybe people say well what did you think was going to happen you went under the bleachers with so and so and you have this kind of protective culture where you just uh, um, they almost everyone supports the the accused person because uh, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Let's not tarnish their name. Um, and the more popular they are, then the more unlikely it would have been that they would have done something inappropriate. You know, would the would the star of the football team really do something to um, a girl that uh, is kind of quiet and withdrawn? And uh, he wouldn't want to have anything to do with her anyway. And and now, so you create this this image in your mind that the person is making it up. And so it it um it kind of goes like that. Um, you think of in high school you start driving. Um, you have the guy driving the girl around, um, or maybe the girl driving the guy around. But they wind up somewhere that everyone knows is that that place where you go to to make out. And um, then uh, something happens that is um, inappropriate, unwanted. And when the person says that someone did something to me, it becomes what were you doing in that area? Why were you with them? Um, and then you get into the question, uh, you know, did they did they say no? And this this whole interrogation happens. Um, and in reality, it's a person person saying something happened to them. So, we need to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that it must have. Why why would you have said that otherwise? You know. And as you get into college, um, I think of things like um, frat parties. You know, the second you say frat party, everyone's like, "Oh goodness!" You know, there's drinking and drugs there. Um, but that's not what fraternities are designed for. And the culture that people may be at a party uh, doesn't mean that they uh, went there to to do anything other than socialize. So. If uh, the party goes late, uh, which most parties do, and um, now it's two in the morning, and now somebody is drunk, and then they allege something happened to them, it becomes their, uh, did it really? It's all an allegation. When um, in reality, uh, maybe it did. And we need to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, the campus, uh, you know, as far as uh, rape culture within a campus, they went and Tend to call the campus security, which is like a security guard, instead of calling the police and treating it like the crime that it is. You know, if someone got shot on campus, everyone would call 911 and get the police there immediately. But when it's uh, sexual assault, it's like, well, let's get campus security, see what they say. And then um, there's a lot of cases where that's been even swept under the rug and maybe they didn't need to get law enforcement involved because the school decided they were going to handle it, quote, internally, um, whatever that means. But it doesn't get the the attention that it should. Um, so I, I think that's um, kind of how things wind up um, uh, college-wise.
6: How one is made fun of of how they don't act like the rest. Like how if some boy likes dolls, the other boys will make fun of them for that. Or how if a girl wants to be more of a tomboy, boys will ridicule them so that they could so that they can make them stop being a tomboy. You know, like early stages of life. And then when you get older, it becomes more more of an emotional than a visual thing. Like, oh my goodness, do you know this or do you know that? They will judge you between what you know about popularity, trends, what you want to be, and who you are as a person.
7: I, I honestly want to say it's a little similar to that of families because... Unfortunately, a lot of schools perpetuate dress code, you know. They tell girls, teenagers, high, you know, high school, elementary, middle school, cover up. Don't wear a tank top. Don't wear shorts. You know, you're distracting the boys. And they're not holding those boys accountable if they are being distracted. Um, you see a lot of times, and you hear a lot of times with older teachers, like, say, older male teachers, they're going to call out the females, the female students to, you know, um cover up why aren't you wearing this they get sent out to the office they get their learning interrupted and the boys if the boys are wearing something you know maybe a tank top and a shorts so they don't get called out for it they don't get their learning interrupted and so rape culture really unfortunately also goes far into school where it's the, the girls get their learning they're studying interrupted to cover up for the boys because they have to be mindful of the boys if they don't do if they don't do their part then what happens is their fault is what schools perpetuate a lot of the times unfortunately
8: so this could be pretty expansive um something that i've seen a lot being that i am an educator is like a lack of clear boundaries between staff and students so it's just like, obviously, as teachers, like you are, you're a trusted adult, students look up to you. And it's really like, same thing with parents, like teachers, you're the adult in the situation, no matter how old that kid is, you know, whether they're 18 or they grow up, like, if you formed your relationship as like student and teacher, you're the adult, the student is the child, like, it's always that adult's responsibility to model and show like, and embody healthy boundaries. And unfortunately in Arizona, I've just seen so much like weird, I don't know, like crossing of boundaries and stuff like that. So whether it comes to like talking to students outside of school, talking to students on social media, like physically touching children, like all of these different types, making unwarranted comments about like, you know, a child's appearance, like These are all things that like teachers can do that maybe they're so small and micro that like they don't really view it as like contributing to a larger rape culture, as you call it. Like that would seem so like, you know, intense if you told them that, but really it's these small things that make up a larger thing. So I try to really, really enforce like having clear boundaries with my students, like if we're not talking through this school computer or this school phone, like we're not talking like you're not going to find me on social media like it's not public. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's kind of like, it's different, you know, because now schools have social media and everything like that, but it's like, there's gotta be those boundaries between like, this is your professional life versus like your personal life. Um, so between staff and students, for sure, for sure. Like whether they're, if they're confiding in you certain information, you know, being a mandated reporter, you are the one that's discerning, like what's safe, what's healthy, when do I need to like contact, uh, you know, outside people Um, other things are like inequitable dress code policies, obviously. So this is something that is like brought up a lot of times in regards to feminism that like, you know, you're not allowed to like show a certain amount of skin or you're not allowed to like wear certain types of clothing, um, even in public schools, which kind of contributes to this fixation again on like the parents and the dress of a child. Um, when it's like, they're all children, they're all here to learn. And so you know, removing children from the classroom and from learning because of their appearance is like something that we kind of need to, like, unpack, deconstruct, and think about, potentially, alternatives. Um, Another thing is lack of youth empowerment. So when young people don't have the tools to, like, speak up to identify healthy relationships or healthy behaviors, when they don't have the tools to, like, communicate what's going on in their life, the healthy tools to communicate what's going on in their relationships, or they don't feel comfortable and no one's made that space for them. It makes it virtually impossible to, yeah, like to bring sexual violence to light and to, and to speak about it open, in an open way is that first step to how we can like address harm, you know, once it's happened or even to prevent harm before it happens. And so I think really like young people don't feel value. They don't feel they have a voice um, and that's a huge problem that contributes to rape culture they they're not empowered to advocate for themselves for their safety or maybe they don't know what that looks like um, and then overall a school they always say is a microcosm of like the society so of course there are structures like overall normalization of like cissexism sexism racism all of those like big structural oppressions um, are involved as well because you got a lot of people <laughs> uh, like into school, so yeah.
9: In schools, I can definitely say it's dress code. Like that's the first thing that comes to mind. Once more, I definitely feel like it's gender role and gender roles and victim blaming, but I feel like dress code has a heavy part in it, because once more, um, primarily. Because rape culture, I believe, is directed towards women, Um, young girls being told what to wear, how to dress, things to do, um, how they're supposed to carry themselves. And it's distracting for you to wear those spaghetti straps. Boys won't know how to control themselves. Gender roles. Again, you know.
10: So the way I could think of this from personal experience would be the way um, uh, guys at school would talk to each other concerning girls. It's, um, again, has to do with the... Um, Kind of back to the idea, oh, it's what they're wearing. So, um, oh, look at what she's wearing. Um, And she must really want attention. Stuff like that. I haven't paid too much attention in school, so I can't give too much of an input on that. But from what I can tell, it would be a lot of, um, once again, kind of go back to what she's wearing. Um, So in schools, I think actually a good example would be rape culture is kind of supported in schools by, like, dress codes. um, A really popular... Um, Fact that I've seen in this is people will always go, Oh, cover your shoulders, it's distracting. That's one really good example that I always see people and people ridicule it, going, Why shoulders? It's just shoulders. Um, Just things like those. um, Don't wear short skirts, don't wear skirts that are more than four inches above the knee, um, and stuff like that. And unfortunately, this tends to impact. The young girls or people in school, our bodies are I guess, um, more developed, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Um, actually, a really good example of this is I did have one kid in school who walked around the school shirtless, like no shirts, just in shorts and shoes, no shirt. Um, no one never told him anything, but if a girl were to do that, she'd immediately be going, why are you doing that? That is inappropriate. You're distracting all the boys or you're doing this to the teachers and stuff like that. So that probably, I think, would be a really good example um, in school.
0: According to the AAUW, 81% of students in grades 8 to 11 are sexually harassed. Some estimates show that 26% of children, males and females, are sexually harassed by the time they reach age 13. And according to data gathered by Rand Statistics on Children and Teens females in school ages 16 to 19 are four times more likely than the general population to be victims of rape, attempted rape, or sexual assault. What does rape culture look like in businesses?
1: In businesses, I think sexual harassment can also be a big part of rape culture and a norm in different institutions and places of employment. And so you can see that employers and people that are in higher positions can use their power to control and harm their employees and get away with it because they are in positions of powers and people are not really going to be comfortable speaking up, challenging someone who is paying them, someone who is in a higher position. And so this behavior is so normalized that the people that are harmed may stay silent because they're afraid that it's going to affect their job and if they don't have a job they're not going to be able to afford to pay for any of their bills to help their families and so this just creates complete norm of having to stay silent at work when something is going on that is not okay and so I think also a big thing with that is people might fear retaliation from their employees or their business if they do not believe them.
2: Um, I would definitely say something similar to in schools. It's like male co-workers harassing female co-workers and having um, people higher up, not really say anything about it and normalize it um, and can you know lead co-workers into doing those things because they they won't really feel, bad about doing it if they know someone else that's higher up is doing it as well
3: in businesses oh inappropriate work relations where um women are treated less professionally than men um a lot of times you'll see like it's not i don't think um the the gender wage gap is like indirectly uh contributing to rape culture but it does contribute to the imbalance of power and the sort of, um, view that people view, um, women and their importance in the workplace. So when you see like, um, male coworkers asking their female coworkers to do, uh, more tedious work, like go get me a coffee, go make some, uh, copies of this document. Um, or when they, Uh, make inappropriate comments about uh, their bodies and their uh, clothing, Um, any sort of uh, sexual harassment in businesses. Um, And it often happens by the supervisors themselves over there, um, uh, under their colleagues working under them. So I think in businesses, it's just... um, blatant sexual harassment
4: um I think it's also like what was said before like more harassment and just like comments and actions that people can do that are definitely like impactful and can be harmful to someone even if someone doesn't even realize that they're doing it they may not realize that like that's something that can I guess affect someone else they just think it's a normal thing to do
5: Businesses, um, I mean, there's several different types of business, um, obviously. I I think if you take it um, uh, easily, just generically, you can say there's a boss that's in a a higher position of uh, power and statute that can um, control who works for them or doesn't or who gets promoted and who doesn't. And so you could wind up in um, a subordinate uh, type situation um, where the boss is uh, telling you to do something or um, is... uh, um, Maybe going on, taking you on a work trip, and you wind up with a hotel next to your boss or near your boss, and there's maybe a bar in the hotel, and now you're both drinking um, late at night, and then um, you wind up in the boss's room, or the boss winds up in your room, um, uh, a- after being um, assaulted or touched or anything is unwanted, um, the subordinate uh, makes the claim that something happened, and then everyone says, well, that's the boss; they wouldn't have done it. Um, you know, even uh, things that are going on right now with uh, with New York, um, you know, that's that's a, a big uh, situation with a boss, um, you know, a politician. And we'll, we'll get into that also. But uh, in, um, whether it's uh, a boss or a politician or someone of higher statute than you are, um, you wind up almost automatically losing and needing to prove that something happened to you um, instead of them just believing that, it, yes, indeed, it could have happened just because it's your boss doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Um, within, uh, the tourism industry, um, you know, you take something like, um, a place where you go for massages, um, at most place you think of that as a therapy, but, um, when somehow it's, uh, an Asian place, they tend to call it a massage parlor, um, as if to indicate that something is allowed to happen there other than a massage. And so by the name alone, you're automatically setting it up for something to be different than just a massage. So now, um, getting, uh, you know, giving it names and things like a, a happy ending, then you, you tend to maybe push it to not being something that was supposed to happen and something that you wanted, but even worse, something that that person wanted to do to you without realizing that they could be in a situation where they're being forced to do something. Um, so, uh, you know, who's being assaulted and who's the victim um, in that case? And so that's, I think, another um, a tricky type of industry. Um, within our own titling, uh, we, we call things like maybe the no-tell motel. And so what are you insinuating by saying that, that something happens there that no one should be talking about or discussing uh, openly? And so if someone were to come from one of those uh, types of hotels or motels uh, indicating and uh, complaining that something happened to them, they were raped, assaulted, um, no one would uh, believe them the same way as if they came from a, quote, um, reputable um, uh, uh, resort. And the flip side, if they do come from a reputable resort claiming something happened, people maybe are less inclined to believe them because, oh, that's, that's a five-star resort. You know, bad things don't happen there. So our culture um, has different views based on where someone came from and what they're claiming happened. And then you take something like the big obvious one is Vegas. Um, you know, you just say, what happens in Vegas? And everyone knows, stays in Vegas. And so now by going there, automatically, what? You're, you're set up for something bad to happen to you, or uh, if something does happen to you, the question becomes, what were you doing there? It's, well, well, gambling. I was having a good time. That's why I went there. But we don't treat people that the same way depend based on where something happened to them. Um, and that, that's wrong of us. And Vegas alone is called Sin City right there off the top. Um, so sin happens there. So therefore, now you're complaining sin happened and you knew the name of the city, and why'd you go? So we we as a society are, are kind of wrong to look at people, um, you know, that way. At last, I would say bars and clubs um, as a business, um, things are different there. Um, you know, the outfit you wear to a bar doesn't mean that something should happen to you. You know, you went to a bar to socialize and have a drink, and that surely isn't a crime. But what tends to happen, society looks at that and says, well, what were you wearing at the bar? Who were you talking to? Um, look at that outfit. Um... And then, uh, you know, further, if you it let it be a gay bar and then society has a different outlook. Well, you, a man goes into a gay bar, what was, what was he expecting to happen? And um, uh, gay bars are, are more known to have uh, condoms in the bathroom. Does, that doesn't mean that you want to automatically have sex just because you went into a bathroom and there were condoms. And so now society has a different outlook on that and the, um, the outcome of what happened when going to a gay bar. Um, male-on-male rape is less likely to be uh, reported and then if it is, uh, people are kind of like um, maybe heterosexuals are tend to be more like, well, what were you expecting? It's two guys. That's what you wanted, isn't it? And just because you're gay doesn't mean you wanted that other gay male to do anything to you or a gay female to do something to you any more than a heterosexual um, person would uh, to someone of the opposite sex. So it, um, we just – we don't treat people right in society. Uh, we have these uh, kind of um, stereotypes of how we think things are um, or should be. And as a nurse, um, I have to be honest about healthcare. care. Um, there is a rape culture uh, within healthcare. care. Um, we have conscious and unconscious bias um, about how we treat patients. Um, you know, if, if someone comes in, for example, complaining of chest pain, um, there's certain things that we do immediately. We get a, an EKG on them um, within minutes of them walking in the door. Um, there's no questions asked. When someone comes in complaining of being raped, sexually assaulted, um, all of a sudden the, the healthcare team's attitude, and not everyone, I'm just saying um, oftentimes, tends to shift to um, alleged. Uh, the documentation uses the word alleged a lot. Um, no one ever says someone has alleged chest pain. We just believe them. But when they say they're raped, we're, all of a sudden it becomes alleged. And this, this interrogative process starts. Who are you with? Who brought you in? Um, Where were you? Where are you coming from? And maybe how they're dressed or if they're drunk, Um, you know, a 19 year old coming in at three in the morning drunk. Everyone's like, where are her parents? And this this whole investigative process begins instead of treating it more like a potential crime and really getting a better story from from the actual victim. And uh, that's something I think uh, we could work on better in the healthcare arena is treating um, any um, allegation just like we would an allegation of chest pain and give it the same, uh, you know, the same respect.
6: Well, one big thing would be that the differences between pay, that would be one. Another one is how, some, how men have more, more upper or standard in mechanical work, working, the pay, the work ethic of, and standards of how they should be. Uh, mostly, like, in businesses, how you almost dress this way, wear a suit or a certain type of outfit, and then a girl or a woman would wear more of a dress. They could still wear pants or whatnot, but they would have, like, a certain different outfit than male to distinguish them.
7: You know, that's an interesting topic, because I don't think it does get talked about a lot, is that in business, unfortunately... If you have a supervisor or a manager who, you know, is giving you some creepy off vibes, a lot of the times, you know, you're not going to want to say anything. And sometimes they do go far into sexual assault. And, you know, in the work culture, in the business culture, you don't want to talk about it as much. You just want to kind of get through it. You don't want to get anyone in trouble. And unfortunately, with people who do come forward, m- men and women alike, you know, Sometimes they're the ones who get punished. They don't... And it makes it so... In businesses, you don't want to talk about it. Because if you talk about it, you're going to be punished. And you're going to lose your job. You're going to go on to counseling. You're going to be written up. And it's unfortunate that that's kind of like the stigma around victims of sexual assault and rape. Is that, you know... If someone who... who, Maybe it's a higher up. Maybe it's someone else that has been here for maybe a little bit of a longer time. You know, they're not going to want to say anything. Because well, I'm new... I don't want to look like I'm causing problems and getting written
8: up. Rape culture in businesses could look like, you know, whether it is like um, bars, restaurants, you know, stores could look like um, sexual harassment. Um, so, like, obviously, these are oftentimes public places where, like, maybe <clears throat> people are giving unwarranted comments or touching, right? Like sexual harassment towards other folks um it could be like sexist microaggressions you know whether in language or policies that a business has um and just overall like in the similar way to the school businesses might discourage open that open communication because like no one wants a school to look bad no one wants their business to look bad so if you are at a bar you know and all this drug facilitated you know or alcohol facilitated sexual assault is going on like You don't want the public to know that. You don't want people to know that those things are going on, right? And so it's kind of this shame and denial piece and silencing what's going on instead of, like, advocating for the people who need it most. And it tends to be, like, I see in Phoenix all the time, like, it has to be these people who are, you know, usually more often at the adult level, it's usually women who are the ones, like, choosing to speak up about it on social media saying, like, the owners of these bars and these restaurants and these men that frequent, you know, these places, you know, are targeting, you know, maybe women or non-binary folks or whatever it is. Um, it usually tends to be the victims having to set up that system uh, of like identifying, you know, these harmful behaviors. And so I think just like for the, for the sake of like saving phase. often happens in businesses where they discourage open communication or like let's say there is an instance of sexual violence every business whether it's school restaurant whatever like any business that has an hr department they take that person out who's under investigation they say like you can't speak to anybody else so like the person who is victimized the person who is perpetrating harm like they can't talk to anybody else about the situation because there's a quote unquote investigation occurring so it's like yeah like I can't even talk to people about the harm that I'm experiencing or the harm that I inflicted because it's all wrapped up in what the company wants to like, you know, not give themselves a bad name because that's what the HR department does. They're there less for that human relations sometimes and more for like public relations of the business or the company. Additionally, people in positions of power, uh, withholding knowledge of harm and protecting perpetrators of violence. So kind of like I was saying, like, If there was a situation of sexual violence they're not going to tell the other staff like oh like this has been like an issue like maybe there's something wrong with the culture of our business maybe there's something wrong with the culture of our store our school that we need to change in order to prevent this they're more than likely just not going to say anything at all because they're the people in positions of power and they have the most to lose if this company fails Um, so yeah
9: You know, I haven't really experienced it in businesses, but from an outside standpoint, I definitely have to say a lot of business places, um, just like men being too handsy with women or women, women, like being too comfortable with men or things of that nature, just like a total lack of boundaries, it feels like, or the normalization of sleeping around to get up and like, oh, if she's got, if let's say our person got like assaulted by the CEO of the company, oh, they were just doing it to get it up. They're lying. They want us to feel pity I feel like it's a lot of bitterness and things of that nature but a lot of it once more it's just a total lack of boundaries and like enforcing gender roles
10: um and I haven't worked in like a business business more of like fast food joints and stuff so the only thing I can think of is um women perhaps being sexually harassed by their bosses um things I could think of that I've like seen on tv or that i have heard other people talk about could be um you know bosses maybe Putting their hands and like grab, grabbing them by the waist, calling them sweetheart, dear, stuff like that, um, kind of perpetuates um, rape culture, I think, because it's putting like the dominant, the man, dominant man, in within power and him being able to take advantage of a woman and make her uncomfortable simply because he's the one in power and he has the right to act that way, type of deal. Um, There's, of course, always different things where someone, uh, like stories, I've heard stories where um, managers, stuff in power, will um, take advantage of their um, employees and sort of um, urge them into a romantic or sexual relationship um, or else you'll get fired or or else I will tell everyone that you're uh, a slut or a whore or whatever. So those are one things I can think of in businesses.
0: A 2,000-person study by StopTheStreetHarassment.org concluded that 75% of people that report sexual harassment are retaliated against and research through the University of Phoenix shows that 75% of people in the workplace are affected by bullying. And that 79% of harassment cases reported to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission are based on race and sex. What does rape culture look like in governments?
1: Individuals in legislation and positions of power that are not held accountable for sexual violence and harassment is also a really big example of how rape culture looks in our government system, and so cases may not be reported because the person harmed is silenced due to that person's power, and if they do speak up, and so they'll fear that they're going to be blamed or shamed, and in our governments, we see how rape culture looks as they are not discussing the issue of rape culture in their communities or with their constituents that are in front of them and expressing how important it is to have laws and legislation that protects individuals who are being harmed.
2: It would be something like having predominantly male um, governments and uh, roles filled by men um, and just toxic men specifically. Definitely... You know, things like uh, wage gap and and just how sexist laws have been and and just, you know, law, uh, you know, governments and countries have been over the past, you know, centuries.
3: So, for example, the Texas abortion ban promotes rape culture over the bodies of people with uteruses. Um because it gives opinion and ownership to the people who are not in the experience of uh, the people who are dealing with fatal pregnancies and pregnancies that are dangerous to their well-being, their health care, their uh, financial status. Um, it promotes rape culture because it blames the woman and the woman have to suffer with the consequences when the I guess, sort of sin that was, or the sort of behavior that they're punishing is a two-person effort, you know? Um, I think it's also definitely on the power play side and then still more
4: harassment side, but it's also, like, I guess not listening to people purely because of, I don't know, a man not listening to a woman purely because she's a woman and, I don't know, like, quote-unquote women are stupid or something like that, Um, and, like, they don't know anything. And then, like... Like I said, more harassment and then like manipulation, I guess, could also be a factor in there, but it's all like to me, it all looks very similar. It's just like the, like how people react to it may be slightly different because of like power play stuff.
5: Yeah. So in governments, um, you know, uh, definitely if you start easy with um politicians, you you get the kind of do you know who I am? I'll ruin you, um, type, uh. Mentality or thought that someone's in a, a higher place of power, but um, within municipalities, you take something simple like um, like uh, law enforcement, and when they're called, um, uh, you know, their job is to respond um, to the call and take objective information um, from any party involved. But um, I think what I've what I've uh, seen happen most uh, well oftentimes is that um, it becomes a little bit more. Uh, uh, judgmental or um, the, your bias sets in and it kind of um, controls the way you take the report or the way the narration happens so instead of saying um, um, just objectively this person was in an alley uh, we found them with this person um they're, um they're stating this happened and these are the injuries we, what we brought them to the hospital for it winds up being like yep she's in this alley with her boyfriend apparently they got into a fight and you can tell that it's a lot more judgy about the way that they feel the situation unfolded. And they may be right about it, but the fact that they're supposed to be the objective ones, um, you wonder how the report is being written, um, how they, what would they look into? And if the person were um, in a different area, would they have taken the report differently? Um, you know, uh, here in Arizona, and uh, you know, is someone treated differently in Scottsdale um, near, um, Near a nice restaurant than they would be maybe um, downtown, um, uh, not near a restaurant, outside of an alley near a garage. Is are those two reports the same? Um, uh, the way that they 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 treat the um, the the victim and um, do their documentation, and the same with us in the hospital setting. You know, do hospitals? Uh, um, you know, there's different different um, healthcare teams in every place, so. You, every hospital doesn't treat everyone one way and one hospital treats them another way. However, that where the hospital is located um, could uh, have different treatment to um, people than um, others. Um, you know, it's easy to say Mayo Hospital is located in a different area than County Hospital. Um, and not to say that those nurses or, or doctors or healthcare team are better or worse than the others, but the way that you uh, treat people or the questions that you ask Um, Might be a little bit different um, based on the type of clientele and where they're coming from.
6: I think it would be that they have a lower. Women have a lower chance of getting hired or getting into diplomatic systems. Uh, There's a lot of old guys in the in the political system, so they want to keep it more male dominated because old people want to keep it the same way it is.
7: I think that's an interesting topic to look at, especially now. If you um, and I hope I don't, you don't mind me bringing this up with Texas, take for example, um, their whole abortion law that they just passed. um, You can tell that they that they don't really particularly care for the victims of sexual assault, who unfortunately would are are more on the fertile side. So women, um, some men are also fertile, and so you know. Unfortunately, in the government, when the lawmakers start making those laws about what happens with a sexual assault case or a rapist, it normally doesn't go very well for the victims. Um... And especially we hear a lot of the times there are politicians, um, sometimes there are accusations from presidents, past presidents, current presidents, you know, that there have been cases where they sexually assaulted their workers and stuff like that. And, it, and especially since they're in the government, it doesn't get taken seriously, which is, a, which is just an absolute shame. I think that's just the worst thing that can happen because any victim who has enough Gut to stand up and say this is happening to me and this happened because of this elected official is not going to be taken seriously. A lot of the time they are ripped apart in many, like, you know, in different interviews, talk shows people talking about They're like, Oh yeah, you don't want to listen to so-and-so they're off the rails. They don't know what they're talking about. That never happened. Or if it did happen, well, that was so long ago. Why did you wait now to talk about it? And it's just a shame because with the government, you know, how are you going to find the courage to talk about it if it just happened when maybe it's your, you know, supervisor, colleague who's running for governor or president? You know, how are you going to find that courage to talk about it until you've come to the acceptance that, you know, it, it happened to you and you're ready to speak up?
8: Obviously, the most basic thing would be like, because obviously we have like harmful people in governments, but really when we talk at this level of like, um, societies and communities, like, it's harmful policies and legislation. Um, and oftentimes this is like, these are policies, excuse me, that prevent accessible reporting, you know, when when rape has occurred or sexual violence has occurred. Um, and additionally, follow up after instances of violence. So even if there is a system to report it, a lot of times, whether it's a college campus, you know, where this this is, like, a hotbed for this type of, like, activity, you know, the police or the school, for example, like, feels like they're too inundated with all these reports that they just don't follow up about it, they don't do anything about it. Or maybe, you know, you're reporting to a police station, it's, like, they have bigger fish to fry kind of thing. Like, I don't think people really value it, and that's, like, inherently because of those those reporting systems. Or maybe there's a, le- uh, you know, piece of legislation, like, the I forget what it is like the statutes for like when you can report, um, you know, after crime has occurred, because maybe, you know, you are raped or sexually assaulted one night, assaulted one night, and you don't feel comfortable the next day of reporting that it takes time to process these things. And, you know, experiencing sexual violence is deeply, um, you know, harmful and crushing at times, sometimes to people who are victimized. And it's not like they're just going to like wake up the next morning and desire to like talk about it and relive their trauma and go through that whole, re you know, victimization process of telling their story again. So I think there needs to be some more leniency, you know, and we've seen this a lot with the Me Too movement or cases with like, you know, children who were sexually assaulted coming out as adults and saying like, yeah, like this happened to me and this person deserves, you know, like we deserve justice in, in a sense. Or these things that happened uh, when we were children, because again, they're children. They don't, They didn't have the tools or the knowledge to know what was harmful or what wasn't, you know, and, and 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 usually it's those adults, you know, that are the perpetrators of violence in that situation. So I think that's one thing is reporting systems, the time in which you're allowed to do that. Um, another thing is like, that representation piece. So yeah, the policies aren't representative of what, you know, those victimized need, and the represented themselves are not concerned with or reflective of the oppressed populations. So those who are most likely to experience sexual violence, you know, queer people, you, you know, people of color, black people, black women, black trans women, like, when we get down to, like, who is most experiencing these instances of sexual violence, like, are our representatives really reflective of that? Like, are they representing us? Like, i.e., are there even, you know, Black women in these spaces? Are there trans people in these spaces that are, like, aware of what our lived reality is, you know, um, of those who are oppressed and most likely to experience this type of harm? Um, and then additionally those individuals who hold a lot of political power not being held accountable for instances of sexual violence so because they're in a position of power because they generally have you know lots of money and lobbyists and etc like they don't they don't have to be accountable you know sometimes they'll resign sometimes they won't but that's kind of seems like a slap on the wrist compared to like you know the type of justice that another lay person let's say you know whatever you want to call it might receive so just because they're in a in a place of political power I feel like a lot of times they get away with and absolutely it's normalized you know whether it's the United States or otherwise this like global elite of like you know people that have political and capital power like yeah like it's very much normalized and we're seeing it pop up more and more and more you know or like if you think of like Jeffrey Epstein or whatever like people that are like celebrities are powerful in all these different ways like it's very much a part of like their culture and what they do and when certain people kind of like black sheep step out of it and say hey like this is a big rink of sexual violence that's like really terrible and pervasive has been going on for years and years and is super expansive and disgusting and sex trafficking whatever like people really stigmatize that black sheep to say like that's crazy conspiracy theories and why are you saying that when it's like no, like there's evidence of these things. So I think that's also a huge problem.
9: That's a really loaded question. But when I come to think about it, I think that a lot of it has to do with um, just victim blaming. So much of the stuff that I see with um, rape culture is victim blaming. That's like such a primary like stake in it. And I feel like a lot of it is just, you know, especially with judicial rulings, et cetera, there's a lot of pity to- thrown towards the people who ruin other victims lives, um, especially in judicial rulings, which is the first thing that comes to mind in government, you know, like, well, he had so much to live for, he has so much he can give, he has so much to live for and not really caring about the victim, who unfortunately had their life ruined, regardless of who they are. The main example I can think of, I can't remember their names very well, because it's such a common thing, unfortunately, but there was a girl who had gotten assaulted by her entire Um, She was a cheerleader and she got assaulted by her entire, um, like a good chunk of the football team. And only one of them was charged on probation for like two months and nobody else got, everyone got away scot-free because, oh, they're such talented athletes. How could we do this to them when her life was basically ruined? Um, No one wanted to have her around. uh, You know, her dating life was affected. Her parents victim blamed her. Like no one cared. It was about the boys, not her.
10: Well, one thing you could probably think of is. Overall, what I've tend to see that rapists' sentences tend to be really short, especially compared to other crimes. Um they tend to have really short sentences unless it's been something involved with a minor. Um, even in that case, there might be some circumstances that'll change that. Um in um, yeah, so that could be one thing that comes to prison and stuff. Uh governments, it could be things like laws that are passed. Um One thing I think about is, like, in Texas, how they're banning that new ban on abortions has passed. It excludes even um, abortions that happen because of a product of rape that I think perpetuates rape culture because it prevents someone from taking, you know, a directive over their own body and deciding, oh, I don't want to carry this child because of a product of rape. But by banning abortions of those kinds, um, further perpetuates, that. that's a you problem. That is a you problem. I don't care that you were raped. That's a you problem. That was your fault. That's kind of a, I
0: think a, a one way I can think of that's perpetuated. In data gathered by the Department of Justice, Office of Justice Programs, and the Bureau of Justice Statistics, sexual victimization in prisons and jails reported by inmates in 2013 showed that 60% of all sexual violence against inmates is perpetrated by the institution's staff. What does a world free from rape culture look like to you?
1: I think a world free from rape culture would look like safety, equity, and respect as a norm for everyone everywhere. If the world was free from rape culture, I think everyone would feel safe and comfortable speaking up. They would feel supported. They would have different systems that can help them and provide support and not blame them or question or make them feel denied of services and I think there would also be a zero tolerance for sexual violence anywhere and people wouldn't stand up for that and they would speak up more and just everyone would feel a lot more safe and able to be treated with respect.
2: Oh, a world free from all rape culture would definitely be a lot more fair and equal like we wouldn't really have um, as many uh, equality problems between men and women and it would definitely make life a lot more fair Um, wage gap easier opportunities for women to get um, jobs or be treated better in their jobs
3: there would be no such thing as you know there would be there would be no harassment there'd be no abuse like there would be no sort of shame in sexual activity there'd be no shame in freedom of expression and how people um express their bodies and how they choose to decorate their bodies Uh, there would be it would just there would be so much safety in the world like I would be able to go out feeling comfortable whether I was wearing a bikini in winter or a hoodie and sweatpants in summer um it would just I wouldn't feel like uh people were constantly blaming me for things that other people are speculating about me um a world free from rape culture really is just courtesy for everyone.
4: I think it would definitely be a better world. I think a lot more people would be happy, and um, I'm sure there would be more people who are alive right now um because of rape like if rape culture just didn't exist um and i think the world would be a lot more peaceful although like things obviously aren't going to be perfect but i think it would definitely the world would look a lot better without it
5: well um i think the easy answer to that is a world free of late rape culture looks exactly like it should um it looks wrong now so we look at it like this fantasy like what if there was no rape culture it there shouldn't be. Um, it would look like uh, like we were giving people the benefit of the doubt um, like we should. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think really we need to admit our, our own previous faults. Um, we've been wrong in the past. The way we've handled um, people that have um, said they were raped or touched or mishandled in any way, um, we've done it wrong. So I think, um, for starters, a world uh, f- uh, free of rape culture would be one that um, – just admitted our faults so we can move forward and do better um because because we haven't and we we really owe people an apology if they if they're still around um for the way they've been treated but um uh, the bare minimum we could start treating people properly moving forward
6: things would be more agreeable and fair i still think that if that was the case there would be less racism because a lot of rape culture does come from does come from race and ethnicity and religion and uh and and spiritual things. I think there would be people that are more free of what they can be and what they want to be. Like how they want to be their own gender or like how some people are pans by
7: Well, first off, a world free from rape culture would mean, you know, there's not that stigma surrounding women to don't walk alone don't let your hair down don't walk without your keys don't be looking over your shoulder. Don't cover up don't go out dancing don't get too drunk and and, and especially also with men you know be careful don't let don't let the, the boys do what they want because a lot of the times there is that stigma around well if you heard the locker room talk why didn't you, you you stop it? A world free of that is there's no locker room talk. there's no immense pressure on women to stay safe stay in groups, don't walk alone, don't go out at night. Um, you know, it stops with the families and the schools where we're not pressuring young girls, children, to cover up. Be modest, you know. If if it was a world free of rape culture, all of that would disappear. We wouldn't... You wouldn't have to worry about, you know, covering up at six, seven years old because, oh, well, Uncle, Uncle Burton's coming over, you better make sure you're not being provocative. It's like, well, I'm a, it's a kid. Why would, you, why would you start that there? So really world free of that type of culture would just mean you don't have to worry about telling others what to do and to cover up.
8: Yeah, so a world free from rape culture, like the antithesis to really what we've been speaking on so far is like, it looks like normalized safety. It looks like normalized accountability, um, so, you feel safe physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, when you are out in public, for example. Um, you feel safe to go out in public to dress how you would like, you feel safe to learn, to shop, to eat, you know, all of these things in a society you don't feel like you are being sexualized or that some you will be met with a certain type of aggression or violence. Um, accountability, so that piece we were speaking about before kind of like regardless of who the person is, they need to be accountable to their actions, their behaviors, so that after there is like that rupture of violence, we can start to like repair communities and relationships afterwards. Um, And then age appropriate conversations regarding healthy sexuality. So a lot of these preventative aspects that we really focus on, you know, like You know, children at different ages have different questions and there's different conversations that need to be had so that they can identify like a healthy view of their body, their relationships, and like, you know, sexual behaviors, like what is healthy. And there's ways to have those conversations that's not inappropriate. It should be based on the developmental stages of that human. Um, And then, again, just like reiterating those restorative practices that when sexual violence does occur when interpersonal and sexual harm does occur, that there is a way to come back from that and fix that. And I think that's something that's like, we're still kind of lacking now, like in especially with social media, there is this movement of like, calling out people that have been perpetrators of violence, and canceling them and everything. But there's also this piece of like, okay, so when do we like all come back together? And when you know, as a society, like, how do we mend things? So I think that is like a huge focus that i would see in a world that's free of all of this stuff like yeah like you know the world would be you know pretty close to perfect like it would be like those underlying causes of violence don't exist
9: i mean you know you can't change the world overnight <laughs> being um optimistic is something i definitely like to do but it is a statement but i feel like the first um like The good way to knock down walls and things of that nature with that is definitely education of any kind, you know, um, educating people where what what consent is, what exactly is coercion? How does coercion play into rape? How does um, what are date drugs? How can what do date drugs taste like? Uh, How can we teach our boys to respect women? How can we treat our women, teach our women to know the warning signs? How can we get people to see each other as people, not just objects, and a whole lot of, like, breaking down gender roles and other things of that nature, idealistically, right? It's not going to happen overnight.
10: Uh, I'm not too sure. One thing I could probably think of is maybe rape jokes probably wouldn't be as widespread as they are now. Um, rapists probably would have longer sentences when it, for those crimes, Uh, and like women would be able to, you know, go get reports to the police, get rape kits done and stuff. Um, and wouldn't, and would not be judged. Um, I think a big one is that it would stop blaming, um, victims of rape culture from being blamed for something that isn't their fault at all. I think it would, it basically would shift over the blaming of rape and stuff onto the actual rapists or people who, who are kind of perpetuating and, supporting rape culture and actually support the victims of this culture.
0: If you had a magic wand, what would you do to end rape culture?
1: If I had a magic wand, I would definitely want to make safety, equity, and respect a norm, and I think everyone would respect each other and their boundaries, and also if I had a magic wand, I would want everyone to have empathy and be capable of looking at the other side and putting themselves in other person's shoes.
2: If there's one way I could end it, I think the best way to do it would be um, have better male role models, like eliminate toxic masculinity in older siblings and, and father figures.
3: I would sort of like reset the clock. If I had a magic wand to just sort of reset the subconscious beliefs in everybody's minds that was full of judgment and speculation over other people. Like, I would just want everybody to be able to focus on themselves and want everybody to understand what true equality is for other people. Just kind of reset the sort of subliminal messages that we've had over thousands and thousands of years that are telling women and telling young girls and telling children that uh, it's our fault. I mean, if this magic wand can do anything,
4: I would just be like, bippity-boppity-boo, rave <laughs> <if> culture gone. <laughs> but, like, it's not that simple, I guess. It's, like, finding the root first and then eliminating that and then hoping that everything else will fall. Or just, like, depending on how much I can use this magic wand, um, like, seeing what needs to be eliminated in order for like rape culture to be eliminated or what needs to be implemented so that rape culture can be eliminated.
5: I think the easiest thing to end rape culture would be to give everybody empathy, which is the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes. So by doing that, you would say, um, that person's dressed like that because they look nice and they want to show everybody that they look nice. It it would be that simple. Um, that person's been drinking, so they can't really, consent or understand what's going on right now. So maybe we wait till till tomorrow when they are, um, more conscious to, um, to, uh, to do anything, whether it's sexual or have them, uh, come back to your house. Uh, you know, these, these things that just seem to wind up happening more. So uh, when people are drinking, um, if the world were free of rape culture, you would just know that that person's drunk and they need a ride home and they need to be dropped off without you following them into their house. Um, Uh, you know, that person, uh, you would say to yourself, that person would be ashamed if they woke up and found out they did, um, this with me. So instead, if the world were free of rape culture, you just would understand that and you wouldn't do that, uh, to them or with them because you know, they'd be ashamed. So, um, simply put, I think empathy would, would go a long way.
6: Well, what I would do is that I would make it more equal, equal, more equality, More like, even though there's jokes saying like, because of this, you can do this because it's all free and it's all, it's all equal. Being equal is giving people a more even ground, but it does not make everything fair. But just by doing more, just by making everyone equal, like gender wise, it would be more of a free world. Like what I was saying in the last question, because usually when you grow up, you You are, you're grown to have these certain point of views while you're growing up. And if you have none, then you're more, you're more of a free spirited person. Or if you were in, were in a hard position during your life or beginning stages, it becomes more, you become more open to others because you were trying to get something that you never had before. So it would be equality that I would use a magic wand to, to do. But, on a realistic scale, it wouldn't be easy, even if I had magic because there would be there would be angry people um there would be people that are angry because you just get rid of that, but it won't get rid of the the memories or the emotional attachments that people have to that, so I think it would be more violent than other so i would I would do it, but it would be done for the better of it all.
7: I don't know how to word this right, but like, I think with the magic wand, it's just kind of like giving a sense of like, I want to, I want to say a lot of rapists, I think they think that they could get away and they don't understand the pain that they're inflicting on their victims. So I think part of what would help end that rape culture and even the stigma is just understanding that what you do is taking away someone's consent and you are inflicting years of pain and not only trauma on them. And when you come to understand that and you come to understand like, consent is consent. I think that's where you can start the end of rape culture is understanding you are not entitled to what you want all the time. You are not entitled to someone else's body. Um, you are you need to understand that you doing something or something happening is going to hurt someone and put them in years of pain. And it's just, it's it's awful. And I think that would, if the magic wand scenario were to happen, is to get them to understand and be a little more empathetic in that case.
8: So if I had a magic wand, I would make kind of a filter. I guess we'll call it like a psycho-spiritual filter, like, psychologically in your insides emotionally you every person has to empathize before they can do an action and really i say that because i feel like this would prevent oppression like it would prevent all types of harm sexual violence and all types of violence and this was foundational to working through yeah like any harm or societal issues is empathy like if you knew the feelings of another if you experience the feelings of another you would not Hurt them or harm them and so we would never seek out to cause or inflict harm on a person we would never seek out to cover up what they're bringing up to do that silence and denial or to minimize their experience of sexual violence which happens a lot now because we're not empathizing like you want to tell this person that what they're saying is made up that it's not important that it doesn't matter that it doesn't actually count as sexual violence that it doesn't actually count as abuse but it's like if we were al- always empathizing we would be able to, yeah, like, before we made those actions that prevented that person from getting the help that they need, like, we would have to empathize. And I think that would prevent us from like, doing all of those terrible things that contribute to the overall rape culture.
9: I mean, I would definitely once more just educate people on gender roles and gender norms, like I would make that innate in schooling, even like that, it's okay to say no, and that coercion does exist. And you shouldn't coerce people into having sex if they don't want to have sex. It's very simple, you know, the power of consent and also, like, you know, making sure that people who get raped, like, are protected and people who rape people get locked up. That's what I would want.
10: Probably try to re, um, what's the word, rework um, laws and governments and policies and stuff that'll make things like rape culture and sc- rape culture rape jokes actual rape more than actual crime in schools and businesses and stuff like that that way people face actual consequences when doing stuff like that cuz i think that's probably a big issue why it's still perpetuated. there's there's no consequences like though people even though they do get there are consequences for some people um there's I, there's always still the oh well i mean it's going to ruin his life or it's going to ruin their life it's not really their fault. Look at the way this person was dressed. So I think I've probably used that to change like policies and laws to make it more of an actual consequence.
1: What
0: do you do now to end rape culture?
1: So right now I'm just trying to do my part in educating others in my community, working with youth so that they're able to address rape culture at their schools with their friends and their peers and family members. And so by helping present at the trauma-informed primary prevention trainings. We talk a lot about how we can prevent these harms and these norms that are terrible and going on right now and how can we can prevent those to make a world that is more safe and equitable for everyone and that teaches people skills of how they can help others who may be experiencing that and I think also just really emphasizing safety, equity, and respect to the youth that I work with and you know they already do that but I really try to explain as much as I can to my family or others how important it is to speak up about things that are not okay and um, just explaining what it means to be trauma-informed and how to provide support towards people who are being harmed.
2: Um, something like, uh, you know, if I had a, a friend who, who said something not so nice about someone or like I overheard it, I would Tell them like, hey, you know, knock that off or, or like don't say that.
3: Yeah, I'm not um in anything organized really, but I am constantly telling people um around me, um, constantly correcting them in things they say. Like I um like I said in the beginning, I have a big problem with dress code and I don't like to follow the rules because I don't think the rules are fair to me and I don't think They're preventing anything harmful. I think they're just there for tradition. So whenever people ask me, like, oh, I'm surprised you didn't get dress coded for that, I always ask them, think about what you just said and repeat to yourself, like, what makes my attire, like, dress code worthy? And what makes the dress code justifiable? Like, I just... um and i often sometimes people will make comments about people they see around them like i think mainly i just look out for comments that are judgmental and i look out for comments that are um unnecessary uh when it comes to talking about people's appearances and talking about um gender and sexual uh topics and i just a lot of times I won't um, start an argument, but I'll ask them to think about what they just said, and I'll explain it to them if they really don't understand why they said was wrong is wrong.
4: <laughs> um, I'm definitely trying to, like, keep people informed and be like, hey, this is not something you should do, like, that's, like harassment and stuff like that I'm definitely trying to make people more aware like people that I'm close enough to feel comfortable be like um I know you and don't do this ever again like this is not good (laughs) um I guess I'm doing stuff like that
5: the best thing I I um think that I do is um not remain silent um you know I think back in the day maybe I I know that I've seen things um or heard of things that were uh, inappropriate and instead it was just like that's not right, but I didn't say anything um and now i don't um uh, I don't remain silent about it um amongst coworkers when uh if someone says something inappropriate um about a situation of someone um i I correct them on it, and so I don't take a neutral stance and I don't take silence um and I don't believe silence is being neutral I think science is uh, science i think silence. Is being uh, complicit in the problem that's going on. I think everyone, when you see something wrong, you have an obligation uh, to say something and correct um, that of people around you, and you have an obligation to let them know you don't agree with what's being said or done. Um, and by doing that, that's what will help um, others. Uh, well, yes, some won't talk like that around you, but the most important thing is you'll you'll talk truth to people, and um, and hopefully change their attitudes in the situation
6: i how i help is that i when i play social platforms or whatnot i usually address people all the time as the same person i don't really tell them about you're male so i'll talk to you this way or you're a female so i'll talk to you like that i treat everyone the same or similar
7: um i definitely do i have been talking about it a lot especially with like Um, a certain situation that had popped up, um, a while, a little bit ago, it's, it's something that, you know, ending that stigmatism, boys will be boys. No, they're not. Don't, that's not an excuse. And I have a lot of parents around me in my neighborhood who are like, oh, boys will be boys. And I've, I've been like, Hey, no, I I don't care. Hold your boys accountable. Um, I know that like, if I've ever babysitting young girls, you know, you tell them, you know, if you feel uncomfortable, speak up, tell your parents, tell, and even with friends, like speak up if someone's making you uncomfortable, if they're giving you off vibes, if you don't trust them, don't go alone with them to the bar, don't go out with them, don't, don't let them have those moments alone with you because you never know. Um, I think a lot of it is trusting your gut as well. You want to trust your gut when you're talking to people and when you when you have those gut feelings, when you you feel like something's maybe off, um, speak up is definitely something I would say. It it never hurts to speak up. People might not believe you, and that just and as unfortunate as it is, you just kind of have to understand that. If if they really truly cared, they would believe you. You know.
8: <laughs> so now, I am really cultivating like open and honest conversations about healthy relationships and healthy sexuality whether that's like with my peers and friends, people my own age, coworkers, uh, and I also teach middle schoolers and high schoolers and they have these questions a lot of the time. So for me, it's really that like communication piece. Like I normalize that like it's okay in any space, you know, for us to have these conversations and at any age, I'm doing that piece that I spoke of earlier of like adapting to like the age group of this person and giving them like the appropriate knowledge and information that they need to empower them to identify healthy sexuality um, in relationships. So, because that relationship piece for the middle schoolers obviously comes in first of like healthy relationships. Um, on a personal um, level, I feel like I'm consistently reflective of my own actions and my own positionalities, you know, in terms of privilege and stuff like that. Like how do I benefit from different types of systemic oppression? And how do my actions like impact, you know, women really? Uh, and those that are most likely to experience sexual violence mm-hmm. and I feel like I engage others to do that same thing that they I engage others to identify oppression as the root cause of violence constantly like people want to bring it to some like obscure situation or you know things are a case-by-case basis when it's like really at the root of all of these situations are those same causes right that oppression and you know, capitalism and like all these other things are really the cause of so much of what we experience and so much of the violence and harm. And so when people trying to make it seem like the one bad apple argument, like, oh, this is just a bad person. Like this is just a rapist that we need to get rid of. And then the problem solved. It's like when they try to make it, turn it into something that's not structural, I'm constantly inviting people like, no, think about the structure and the society that produced this bad apple. Like it's not a one and done kind of situation.
9: Oh, yeah, of course, you know, I can't, no one can change the world overnight. But definitely when it comes to people who I I definitely try to um, protect my friends who are vulnerable to rape culture, such as my LGBT friends, etc. Um, I really try to protect them, let them know that, hey, if they need a ride, I'll call them an Uber, or I can even have my mom and I drive up there to get them. Um, I remind them to like, you know, text me. If you're in danger, text me uh, when you get home. Text me if you went home with that person. Um, I also let people just talk to me when I can, you know, like, and I don't mind helping people walk through and maybe realize that they were assaulted and that it is okay for them to feel angry about it. I feel like that's the biggest thing is educating people on when they may have been assaulted, you know, if they were pushed into something or if their partner expected something of them and they didn't want it, you know. I feel like the biggest power against rape culture is knowing that you have been a victim and it's okay.
10: Um, I'm not doing anything super widespread. As a big sister, the oldest kid in my family, um, I constantly try to make sure that my brothers, because I have four little brothers, um, make sure, try to teach them respectful and try to help them understand that these types of jokes and these things aren't safe at all. Uh, I especially do it when, like, my stepdad uh, he made one really crude joke be like, oh, you're going to get yourself a girlfriend and you you keep her. You don't let her tell you no and stuff. And I'll be like, no, don't do that. That's bad. I, I personally will kill you if you do that. I'm your sister. I have the authority to do that. I don't actually, but that sort of thing. I personally try to make sure that my brothers understand that this sort of stuff isn't okay and it makes people really uncomfortable. It's actually really bad to keep spreading stuff like that around. And try to help them understand that this sort of stuff, you know, you want to be respectful. You want to make people comfortable and not make this world a harsher
1: place.
0: What advice can you give the world to help end rape culture?
1: A piece of advice that I would give to the world to help us end rape culture would be to really sit down and talk about the root causes of harm and recognize that people that are abused or harmed do not ever ask or deserve to be harmed. And so I think that, An advice, piece of advice that I would give to the world would just be to share accessible programs and opportunities for people and families to get the support that they need and practice empathy as much as you can. Talk about how to prevent sexual violence everywhere, across every section of the social ecological model.
2: I think the best way um, that I, you know, people could help now would be educating, um, telling someone, you know, oh, hey, you know that's wrong, don't say that or don't do that and um you know trying to lead people away from doing bad things and and explain to them why stuff like that is bad
3: I would say um think about the think about the problem or whenever you have a problem with someone else's appearance and whenever you have a problem with someone else's sexual behaviors or have a problem with someone else's um, expression, think about why that's a problem for you and how that problem is affecting you. And think about if they've done anything that is targeting you in your life. Because if everybody just minded their own business and i think <laughs> i think things would be a hell of a lot easier for a lot of people i guess listen to what other people say
4: and like believe them obviously there's evidence and stuff that can be involved and whatever but a lot i'm sure a lot of people most people in this world most would probably not lie about things like that i would like to think at least I'm sure there are definitely people that are, like, bad and are just, like, faking things so that they can get money or something like that. But, like, listen to people and listen to what they have to say.
5: I think the best advice is um, be open to the fact that we've been a pretty rapey culture um, in general. And um, and just admit that, um, apologize, and let's move forward. Um, just because it used to be that way doesn't mean it needs to be that way now. We're better than that, we we know better. Um, the science points to it. We have articles, that, there's internet now, you can read a gazillion stories of people that have been harmed by this and we, we owe it to them to do better than this. Um, and um, I refuse to remain silent um, and really don't forget who the victim is. The victim is the person making the allegation. The victim is not the person that got the allegation made against them. Um, someone is, uh, we can't be worried about someone's reputation because uh, they've been accused of something. We have to take the person who's accusing them as the victim and do what we can to, um, to bring a person to justice that has been accused of doing something. And if when all the evidence is gathered and everything is found to be untrue, then that's a different situation. But the research points to people, the average person does not make a false allegation. And we tend to, I think, to we think we're erring on the side of caution by making the victim prove that all this stuff happened to them instead of uh, needing uh, the other person to defend um, or state what really happened. Uh, They're the perpetrator and we need to be open to that.
6: I don't just help the ones that I, that I am helping right now. I want to, those people to help other ones and then those ones to help them so probably word of mouth to be yourself to be more free and to be more unbiased
7: don't be afraid to coming back to it just don't be afraid to speak up don't if if you see something you hear something say something you know if you hear if you're one of the boys and you hear the boys given that that type of talk, like oh you know, look what she's wearing. How can I contain myself? Hold them accountable. Say you know my guy, that's not cool. Why would you say that? Or um, you know if it's like well I'm drinking, you can't hold me. Can-? Yeah I can. You should have you should have taken those steps to make sure you know you're not getting drunk enough that you're gonna black out. Um, if you see. Like someone being led away and they're drunk, they're intoxicated, you know, say something, stop it, make a scene, cause a fuckus. Um, don't always check in on your friends too, is what I would say. Make sure, you know, if they're going to a party, you know, you're going to check in on them, make sure if they're comfortable with it, if they're sharing sure their location um, to kind of help stop that. But to end it is really say something when you see something going on, you without saying anything it just keeps going and to say something is to give those survivors and those victims a moment to let them know you know i hear you i see you let's let's work on this together to end it
8: so my best advice to ending rape culture is like empathy is everything so our thoughts our speech our actions they're deeply into interconnected with the reality of other people so like what we do doesn't just like stand alone by itself right we're not in a vacuum we're not siloed off Mm -hmm. from other people like we're in a society um and so always always having that empathy and realizing that like your Mm -hmm. thoughts speech and actions they do impact other people they do become a part of the fabric of society and our collective reality so and then additionally that uh oppression piece like being critical of systems of power at every moment and recognizing the real reasons that rape occurs. It's not because of some like little flicker in a bad guy's mind that he decided to like rape somebody. It's a much larger um, picture. And so, and additionally, like uplifting and centering voices of those who are oppressed because they're the most likely to experience sexual violence and for those who have already been victimized. Um, and just never be fearful of speaking about topics that make you uncomfortable. So I think people often shy away from this, speaking about rape culture and sexual violence, because it just feels uncomfortable. It doesn't feel like nice and neat and pretty. And so just, it's okay. It's okay to have uncomfortable conversations. And that's the only way we bring about change.
9: I mean, I think a lot of it is just don't doubt people when they tell you their story. Don't immediately go to victim blaming. Don't immediately just point at someone and go, oh, my God, that can't possibly be real because this and that. Like, no, that's... Hear someone's story out and believe them. Entertain it and believe them and listen to them and show them compassion.
10: Um, Make people have actual consequences for this stuff. If someone makes a rape joke in class, I want professors and teachers to get that person in trouble for saying that and, like, be actual trouble for it. If someone... um actually does someone, actually rape someone, I want them to have a, a sentence that'll actually have consequences for them, something like 25 to life type deal. Um, I think it would also probably be beneficial if, you know, start teaching young, um, I'm going to say young men, boys and young men in this case, um, again, because that t- tends to be the demographic that a lot of this comes from, unfortunately. That start teaching them early on that being respectful and being kind to other people is the way to go, and not keep perpetuating just like oh you're the man, you get the say and all of this. Um, I'm not sure how to more eloquent like put it in more eloquent words, but I think you get what I'm trying to say.
0: The most common theme our community members mentioned was empathy. We Up Here Solutions believe that empathy is the true standard and the true norm. If you have empathy, you can create a world where safety, equity, and respect are everyday ideals and uplifted over oppression, silence and denial, and normalize harm and violence. If we work together, we can and will make the world a better place. Our statistics and information was gathered from Rain Statistics, the CDC, the U.S. Department of Justice, the Office of Justice Programs, the Bureau of Justice Statistics, a study by Amanda K. Gilmore and their associates titled... Suicidal Ideation Among Adults with a Recent Sexual Assault, Prescription Opioid Use, and Prior Sexual Assault, Softthestreetharassment.org, Research through the University of Phoenix, and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Once again, we'd like to thank our community members and experts for participating in this podcast, and thank you to those of you listening for the first installments of the Pure Pod's 10 for 10. We hope you learned something new and have a more broad outlook on rape culture and are able to identify its effects. And, remember, together we can make the world a better place. There's honestly so many hmms in this episode. <laughs>